Yeah, uh, my name's Jake. I'm in my fourth year of engineering. Uh, and I have the privilege to pray for us, uh, which is talking to our God. So please pray with me. Loving Father, we thank you that you showed amazing love by sending your son Jesus to die in our place. We thank you that in his resurrection, he defeated death and reigns over all things. Father, we thank you that Lachlan knows this truth and he was able to share how much you have shaped and changed his life. Help us to understand the amazing love that you have for all of us. As God of everything, we pray for our world. Particularly, Father, we bring before you Syria. We ask that you can do all things that you might bring peace amongst the turmoil within this country. Help the people to understand the forgiveness and peace of the good news of Jesus. Father, amongst all the sufferings and persecution, we pray that Christians in that country will hold firm to their faith in you and never let it go. And now, Father, as we open up the Bible, we ask that you help us to listen and understand. Please speak through Richard and help him to clearly and faithfully teach us. Father, help us to know the gravity of what Jesus has done. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi everyone, my name is Joe and I'm a second year of exercise science and rehab student. Um, I'm just going to read the Bible for us now and you can find it in your handouts that you're going to give it as you want to. Um, so, the part of the Bible reading is Luke chapter 7, um, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love you more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Thank you.
5th of December in 2013, Anita Smith's husband was gunned down during his morning jog outside his home. It was in Benghazi, Libya. They had a young son named Hosea. And Ronnie, Anita's husband, who was gunned down, was a chemistry teacher. Came from Texas, and he was simply teaching at an international school. Not long after the shooting, Anita, his wife, said that she didn't feel any anger. She didn't want any revenge against the killers of her husband. In fact, in an interview in CNN, she said, I just envisioned the black jeep driving up to him, and I don't know their faces. I just want them to know that God loves them and can forgive them. And this interview caused enormous scandal. I mean, how could she possibly forgive the gunman? There's a missionary by the name of Amy Carmichael, who was in India. She once wrote, A cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. Well, Anna Smith's life was suddenly jolted that day. But all she could spill was the sweet water of the offer of forgiveness. What gives birth to this kind of forgiveness? What gives birth to this kind of offer of forgiveness? Well, some of you have been hurt enormously by people who dearly wronged you, Francis And you know how deep Anita Smith had to dig in order to even offer forgiveness. But my guess is that most of us will not experience offences on this kind of scale. But we will offend people. And we will be offended ourselves. And the only way we can understand Anita's scandalous offer of forgiveness is to see the scandal of Jesus. And that's why we're here today. I'm so grateful that you've given up a lunchtime to be here before a long weekend. I take it that there is something that's keeping you here, like an assignment that is due soon or something like that. <laughs> However, you can't come to something like this without seeing the gravity of what well, were the events of the first Easter. And I hope you can see something of that in this incredible story that is before us that was just read out to us by Job. See, in this true account of Jesus, we meet a woman who is truly forgiven on the one hand, and we also meet a man who needs forgiveness. And as we look at these people, it is my prayer that you will see how this must apply to each and every one of us. See, as we read, Jesus was invited to a home to dine with a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee it was not an ordained pastor of any kind. It wasn't someone who was seen you know, up the front of what we would see as churches by way of some 
a special role, but they were a movement of lay people who were, well, very religiously zealous. But people very much looked up to them, and they were the kind of people who were the good people, the moral people. You would see them as the kind of people you would approach as safe people, good people, honest, upright citizens of society. And to give you a feel for the scene here, they probably would have been sitting on the ground in those days in terms of having dinner. Now, they don't have tables and chairs like we do. They would have sat on the ground, and they would have had their elbows on the table, their feet sticking out. That kind of helps understand helps us understand the scene, doesn't it? Because it's not as if this woman comes underneath a table looking at the feet going, ooh, I wonder what feet of Jesus is, you know, that kind of thing at all. Rather, you can see what's going on, right? Their feet are dangling out there as they're leaning on this table. And we don't know exactly what made her a sinner, but everybody knew that she was a sinner. It was trending on Facebook. It was on Twitter. It was everywhere. She didn't exactly have a sign that said sinner on her forehead, but everybody knew when she came into the room. And to her society, she was amongst the unforgivable. You ever met someone who is unforgivable? Some time ago, I read of a prostitute who was in dire straits, who came to a man. She was homeless, she was sick, she was unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. But through sobs and tears, she actually told this man that she had been renting out her daughter for kinky sex because, you see, that would get her more money than what she could do herself. And that was in order to provide for her drug habit. How does that make you feel towards her? Do you, like me, feel some semblance of anger? It's a two-year-old daughter. Outrage. I mean, what words come to your mind when you describe such a mother, a so-called mother? Unforgivable. Sinner. This is precisely what we would have felt towards this woman in the days of Jesus. This unforgivable woman gate crashes the party and then does the most amazing thing though. She comes in, she finds the feet of Jesus and she's weeping, right? She's weeping so much there's enough tears to actually wet the feet of Jesus. And she gets her long hair, it's obviously long enough to dry his feet then she kisses them and then she pours perfume on his feet. This sinner. Why is she doing this? I mean, is she high on drugs? Is she someone who just wants to create a scene? Now, what is she doing? Why is she doing this? Well, we'll find out later. But for now, look at how the Pharisee responds. If you get your little outline there, you'll see inside <coughs> That small number 39, small number 39, we read these words, verse 39. Have a look there. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
Now, before we point the finger at him, you might think, oh, look at him, he's just such a highbrow, moral guy, he's looking down at this person, etc. <coughs> well, is there a touch of us possibly in him? See, regarding this particular woman who was renting out her two-year-old daughter, someone actually asked her if she'd ever thought of going to church for help. You know what she said? She said, church? Why would I ever go to church? I was already feeling terrible about myself. That would just make me feel worse to go to church. Isn't that a sad indictment on her understanding of church? Because you see, women like this, like this prostitute, fled towards Jesus. They didn't flee away from Jesus. They flew towards Jesus. The worse a person felt about themselves, the more likely they saw Jesus as a refuge. But they don't tend to think this way about churches. I wonder how they might think about a church if you happen to attend a church. I wonder how they would think about this Christian group if they were to come to this Christian group. Something that we need to take stock of ourselves, isn't it? I don't know what they would think, but it's worth asking the question. And could our actions, our thoughts, be a little like that of the Pharisee here? Oh, he can't be God. He can't be a prophet. He can't be anything like that because he's letting this sinner touch him. Letting this sinner come to his presence. Well, if so, listen to the words of Jesus. Look at the small number 40 there. Small number 40. And Jesus answering the Pharisee said to him, Simon, we now know his name, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owing 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged right. In Australia, if you graduate and get a full-time job, notice I said the word if you graduate, <laughs> and you get a full-time job, the average income, I'm told, is roughly $80,000. It's all amazing, $80,000. So, what we have here is something like 500 denarii, which is one and a half years' wages. So in our terms, it's about $120,000. 50 denarii are about one and a half months' wages. That's about $10,000. Right? So you're talking about a $120,000 sum and a $10,000 sum. Now, let's go with a pretend story. Imagine the Commonwealth Bank lends you $120,000. And the Commonwealth Bank lends your friend, who is not in this room, $10,000. And then our national treasurer, Scott Morrison, writes to the bank and says, cancel the debt of these two people. I told you it's a pretend story. Run with it. Feel the vibe. Cancel the debt. $120,000. Cancel. You don't have to pay them back a cent. And your friend doesn't have to pay back a cent either. $10,000 doesn't have to pay that either. Now, which of you are going to appreciate the Commonwealth Bank more? 
Which of you is going to kiss Scott Morrison for this? <laughs> you are more likely to do that than your friend because it's 120,000 buckaroos, right? That's a lot of money. You're going to actually appreciate it more. <coughs> and that's exactly what's going on here, you see. Simon says, well, the one with the larger debt. And he says that begrudgingly, but he can see what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus goes on to explain the actions of the woman. The outrageous, the scandalous actions of the woman. Look at verse 44, the small number 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, Simon, did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are me, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. See, what's going on? She knew that she was a sinner unforgivable by her society. She knew that she owed an incalculable debt to God as a sinner because she offended God. That's what sin is. It's an offence against God. And because it's an offence, I owe God a debt. This is an incalculable debt. And when she looked at the darkness of her own heart, the darkness of her own life, she had nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. I wonder whether you've ever come to this point of recognising the darkness in your own heart, like Lachlan shared with us. I wonder whether you've considered the debt that we owe to God for rejecting Him. Every lie, every inappropriate lustful thought and action, every look at the porn site, every piece of gossip, slander, every desire to covet, every action that has not pleased God, things that you know that you have secretly kept from others but God knows about. You just add that all up. And it's incalculable, isn't it? Totally incalculable. But here's the scandal of Jesus. He cancels her incalculable debt. Cancelled it. And it's not because of anything she had done, but he cancelled it because she threw herself upon his mercy. That's all she could do. Just throw herself upon his undeserved generosity. See, banks don't do this. They don't cancel debts. But God does. Now, people don't even cancel debts, do they? It's very hard for us to forgive people when we're really offended. But Jesus does. Now, he's willing to cancel our incalculable debt to him, our immeasurable offences against him. That's scandal. 
So when this sinner finally understood the depths of her incalculable debt that Jesus had cancelled, that Jesus had forgiven, that she couldn't do anything more than just weep because of his mercy. She recognised what she, he, he had done. And so she just weeps and weeps and weeps. It was because she was forgiven much. When you get how simple you are and you get how much you have been forgiven, you understandably weep. Jesus had forgiven her all of her past sins that others couldn't forgive. He loved the unlovely by forgiving the unforgivable. She did what she did because she was forgiven much. But look at the people responded. Look at the small number 49, verse 49. I'll pick it up from verse 48. Verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, the other guests at the table know exactly what Jesus is claiming when he forgave her. Uh, they knew that only God can forgive sins, only God could cancel the incalculable debt that she owed him. But can you see the scandal of Jesus deepening now? See, by implication, therefore, Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus is claiming to be her God. Jesus is claiming to be her King. And this is precisely how this woman treated him. You think about it. You know, in those days, he treated kings by anointing their head with oil. That's what happened to our Queen Elizabeth. I say our Queen Elizabeth, right? Unless you happen not to be an Australian citizen and come from a country which is a republic of some description. And many of us want to become a republic. That's another story. But she's <laughs> our queen. Right. And as our queen, do you know what she did? Well, what was done to her? She was anointed. That's what happens to kings and queens. That is, they have pour oil on their head. It's going to happen to Charles, but the way she's living, she might outlive Charles. Uh, probably have to be at some point in time. I don't know. Well, who knows? George may could have caught you sometime. <laughs> All the way through. But it will be an anointing. And at that point, what is it being expressed there? That is that they are king, they are ruler, they're the sovereign, they're the crown. When she anoints Jesus, she feels too unworthy to approach her head. So she anoints his feet. She probably couldn't afford oil, that's why she buys perfume, you see. Whatever the case, even though we may not know exactly what's going on there, we know that her actions show that she loves him as her king. She loves him as her God. Whereas Simon, the Pharisee, doubts whether Jesus even was a prophet, let alone God. And that's why Simon needs forgiveness, just as much as the sinful woman. Oh, he's a moral man. It's unlikely that he committed the sins that she committed in the sense of whatever it is that the whole society knew. And I wonder how much you and I can identify with Simon. 
I mean, most of us probably are not known as sinners by reputation in Wollongong, are we? You know, if you walk around Wollongong University and people look at you and go, sinner, sinner. No, no, you're not seen as a sinner, are you? I take it you, like me, hide our sins pretty well. We hide our insides pretty well, even though we know it's pretty nasty inside. My guess is that most of us, well, certainly think that even though we've done some shameful things, we're beyond scandal, beyond the international or rather corrupt, uh, what is it called? ICAC, what's that stand for? The something or something. What does it stand for, Adam? You don't know. And you're on the way. Forget it, Sam. See, I don't know either. But it's that thing, right, that is meant to find you scandalous. It's meant to find the, the council of corruption. That's what it is. If anything, we can appeal to our own moral record, right? We're generally good people, generally good friends, give up a lot of time to help others, don't really drink and drive, maybe even regularly go to a church, attend a Bible study, come to this Christian group on a regular basis. And we're here today, and I'm glad that you're here. Perhaps you've been involved with your friends in coming along, and you're here for the first time. But some of us are secretly proud of our actions even. We're good people, and we've done good things, and we're really proud of these good things. I did something secretly recently. I saw that the petrol tank was quite low in my dear wife's car, and I knew she had to drive long distances, so I filled it up secretly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told her. This is the first time I'm telling anybody. Right? And I remember getting out of the car thinking, gee, you're good. <laughs> now I know that you and God. And now the whole of ACU. She <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're so good. You're so good. You ever think that way? Or am I the only person? You ever think, think about such actions, you think, wow, yeah, I did a good thing. But we're really not to be all that proud of. But sometimes these things can go wrong. You might think you're a moral person, you might think you're a good person, but things go wrong, and then you start to think and feel as if we owed something for our goodness. And we expect our goodness to pay off somehow. And if we're good people and things go wrong, we kind of think, well, how come this is going wrong? I've never done anything bad because you actually think that in the end your actions deserve good payoff. And you get confused and even angry. And so I have some friends who, well, because of such situations, have decided to give up on God. Because they can't see, wow, how can this work? I mean, I've been living so faithfully, etc. How come I'm going through these sad times, these dark times, and so they're feeling as if they're being ripped off by God. But you see, how can we be ripped off by God? The truth is that we owe God. He doesn't owe us. It's not as if he's lucky to have us on his side here. God is God. We owe him. No matter how much we've been through, no matter what we've done, it can never be reaching his standards. He made us. He has given us everything that we have, our possessions, our very lives, and yet we either reject him outright like the woman did or use him to get what we want like the Pharisees. 
And we can never do enough to pay back our debts. Never. Never be good enough, never be religious enough, never be moral enough, because our debt is totally incalculable. Immeasurable. But listen carefully. This is the thing to remember. Jesus is willing to scandalously forgive the incalculable debts of anyone who throws themselves upon his mercy. And Jesus is willing to scandalously forgive the incalculable debt of anyone who throws themselves upon his mercy. How? By paying all our debts for us himself. Jesus paid it all. All. God demonstrates his own love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died the death that you and I deserve. He did that on that first Good Friday that we are going to remember again tomorrow. Jesus paid the incalculable debt that you and I owed, but he didn't stay there. He rose again on that first Easter Sunday so that we could rise up with him and have new life, forgiven life, a life in which we no longer owe him anything because Jesus has paid it all. You see, this is the sweet water that Anita Smith drank from when her life was jolted that day that her husband was murdered. This is the sweet water of scandalous forgiveness that she wants her husband's murderers to know is freely on offer even for them. But what about you? Do you want this forgiveness? I know you need it, because we all do. We're all sinners. But do you want it? Do you have it? It may be that you've come into this place for the first time having heard nothing about this at all and you want to find out more. Then we want to encourage you to find out more. In a moment I'm going to offer you the opportunity to do that to make yourself known to us as someone who might want to find out more. Check out the facts and maybe read a biography of Jesus like this one called Uncover, a biography written by a man named Luke who was a doctor and historian but uh, uh, someone who got eyewitness accounts and has put this together. It's very helpful to read. So I hope you can do that with us and we'd love to give you that opportunity to do that. Maybe you want to find out more. Maybe you just simply want to ask questions. Maybe you want to talk to someone about stuff that you finally want to face up to. But just maybe, maybe you've come in here. Perhaps you've been with us for a long time. Or maybe you've just discovered for the first time that Jesus really isn't your king, that he really isn't your God, that you really haven't received or asked for that kind of forgiveness to bring you back into a right relationship with him. And if that's you, then can I encourage you to pray to him now. I've written a prayer that I want to read out to you that I'm going to invite you to pray with me 
if you think this is an appropriate prayer for you to pray. In verse like this, it says, Dear Father, I know I owe an incalculable debt to you. Please forgive me. Thank you for paying my debt in full by sending Jesus to live, die and rise for me. And please help me to love Jesus as my God and my King from now on. Amen. Amen simply means amen. But you see the prayer? The substance of the prayer really comes out of the text of Scripture that we just looked at. And if you know this is your prayer, the kind of prayer that you want to pray to become a Christian because you've recognised that you haven't been up to this point, then can I invite you to pray this prayer with me now? All you need to do is to listen and to echo what I'm praying to God. It's a real prayer to God to echo it in your head and your heart to God in silence as I read that. And let me assure you that God is listening, that God will answer, and if this really expresses your heart, then please, please, pray it with me now. Shall we pray? Let's pray it I know I owe an incalculable debt to you. Please forgive me. paying my debt in full by sending Jesus to live, die and rise for me. Please help me to love Jesus as my God and my King from now on. Thank you. 